Welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. We have a super special guest on today, one of my favorite people, one of Poyo's favorite people, Lloyd Lobo. Thank you for joining us. Awesome. Excited to be here and two of my favorite people too. Before we get into the work stuff, we'd love to take it back to the beginning and just learn more, Lloyd, about like your, your upbringing. Like, where are you from? Uh, what were your parents like? What did they do? Tell us about, uh, about your past and where you grew up. I'm a refugee of the Gulf War. My parents are from India and uh, they, grew, they went to Kuwait in the Middle East to work. And that's where I was born. And I went through the, I went through the whole Gulf War in the 90s. I was like nine or 10 years old. And uh, that was a crazy experience because what, what's really interesting what happened was um, I used to study last minute, hours before the exams. I think it was like grade four or something. Anyway, I studied for a math exam and I walked in and it was geography. percent I was going to fail and uh, I'm like trying to cheat. Like imagine you're a fourth grader trying to cheat on people. I'm like, oh, please help me or else my parents are going to kill me. Summer happened, right? And, and then you go into uh, next, next grade in, in the fall. And one morning I woke up and my parents are like, hey, schools, everything are shut down. A war broke out. And I was like excited. I'm like, yes, you guys are never going to find out <laughs> if I failed that exam. So that, that was it. And then, and then um, a few months later, we got loaded into refugee buses that went through Baghdad and Jordan and, uh, and whatnot. And so that's, that's, that's the quick story of my upbringing. So immigrant parents refugees of the Gulf War. Eventually, uh, we moved around and came back to Kuwait and then moved to Canada. I did my engineering in Canada. And then after I finished engineering in 05, I moved to the US. So my wife now uh, is also from Kuwait. She also has an Indian background, very similar, right? very strange heritage. We've got like Portuguese last names. Lobo means wolf in Portuguese. That's because there was Portuguese settlers in India till about 1971. And so that whole culture of, of sort of Port, Portuguese culture and Catholicism spread from there. So my last name is Lobo. My wife's last name is Montero, which means hunter. And I'm wolf, right? So anyway, so she's from there too. That we, we didn't really meet in Kuwait, but we connected um, once after, after that whole experience and, and had been dating all through like just after high school, all through college, and then now married two kids. But anyway, she got into med school in, in New Jersey. And so after engineering, I moved to New Jersey, worked at a startup there. Uh, then she got into residency in Philly and I moved to Philly and worked at a startup there. Then I begged her, I'm like, listen, you gotta stop this, right? Like East Coast is not the place to, to, for me, right? Like there's not, this is what, 2010, 11? This is not the place to build a startup. Like apply to California, apply to California, apply to California. She's like, my whole family's on the East Coast. Your whole family's on the East Coast. There's no way, no way, no way. And I begged and begged and begged and blackmailed and did every sort of thing. Uh, and then she's like, fine, I'm going to apply to one hospital there. And if I get in, we're going. And she's like, by the way, that hospital is impossible to get, get into for fellowship. That was Stanford and she got in and, and we've been here for, for 10 years. Great part of, uh, of my journey. Any interesting stories as a kid? I almost burned down our refugee camp in Jordan. So I can share that story, but, but uh, what happened was as we were loading, my parents were loading buses. Uh, everyone was loading their buses. Every bus had like uh, color-coded ration, right? So water, uh, gasoline, whatnot. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to steal some from the other so we have more, right? Like from the next bus over. So I, I stole a canister and I brought it. And then as, 
which is the dumbest thing ever. But what, I was nine years old. I was just going to steal from that so we have a little more because we have some more people than their bus does. And then my, as soon as we reached no man's land in Jordan and there were camps and the UN was like throwing pockets of like tuna and pita bread down. And, and my uncle lit up a bonfire. It's like, let's make tea. We're tired and tea like refreshes you. It's like a Middle Eastern thing. So this is massive, massive pot. And uh, it was a bonfire. And he went and picked up this canister and he went to pour in it. But it was gasoline. And he lit fire. The refugee camp, like the tent behind us, almost caught fire. And I wake up and I'm seeing like people running. And my uncles are like, "Hey, we had color coded white for water. Why is there gasoline in here?" Lloyd, I've known you for a couple of years now, and one of the things I admire about you is this pay it forward mentality without expecting anything in return. Where does that come from? It comes from my mom and dad, and coming from my grandparents, they have this philosophy that help enough people get what they want, like givers gain, give first. And, and I kid you not, my mom and dad, my dad was a farmer and my mom, uh, you know, if you see Slumdog Millionaire, uh, they, live, they lived in this thing called Chal, like a slum, right? Uh, in a way. And, uh, you know, they had a family of 10, my, my mom, like uh, eight sisters and two brothers. And my grandfather, um, anytime anyone was up and coming, he always gave them place to stay. And there are many entrepreneurs, my, my, like people I know, who like literally, you know, were coming to Mumbai from other places of India and needed a place to stay. And my grandfather, despite having eight kids in that small, like slum, like dwelling, right, where there's no, there's no bathroom in there. So you got to go to a common bathroom. It's exactly like that. And, and he gave them refuge, like stay here till you get the job and everything else. And, and uh, those people have become super successful entrepreneurs. And the same thing, same thing with my dad. He has five siblings. They grew up on a farm in, in, in southern India. And so my dad was the first from his family to leave uh, southern India. It's, it's called Mangalore to move to Mumbai. Like everyone back in the day would leave places to go to Mumbai, a big city. And, and then from there, he made his way to Kuwait. That was, that was the trend back in the day, go to the Middle East. And when he went to Kuwait, he took anyone he could like we sponsor them for visas, like his brothers, friends, whatever. So it's always been that give before you get. And my dad always said, uh, and grandfather um, as well, never expect anything in return. If you're doing something for somebody, just don't expect that that person is going to return that to you. Like, don't do it with that expectation. Do it because you get joy in seeing other people succeed and things will come around. Um, and I feel like my, my co-founder at Boast AI, Alex, he has the same philosophy and mindset. And um, a lot of our actions embody that. And that's why we were able to bootstrap so long. And, and during a pandemic as bootstrap founders, we never wanted to raise money. And we were able to raise money, find the investors, raise money on our own terms and like, you know, get, get this far. So I think that has a lot to play, to do with how you are as a human. It's like, it, it ties into your DNA or culture and, and, and the karma, right? Yeah, I love the pay it forward mentality. What a cool story about your grandfather and like the open arms mindset. Um, uh, and, and Ima imagine not, not having food for the kids, but like you got like, you know, you got like eight kids here who don't who have to share. And then you got one or two strangers coming by every month and staying there. And you're like, what is going on, right? Totally. It's hard. It it definitely puts into perspective the things that I feel like are problems in my life, uh, which which really like don't don't compare in some way. So um, maybe we can extend what you what you finished with there about raising capital. So um, you guys 
didn't take capital for 10 years, right? It was about that long from founding up until now. The company started around 2010 or so. 2012. 2012. 2012. Yeah. Okay. So eight years and managed to scale the company to, I think, over a thousand customers and raised your first round a few months ago and then followed on with a hundred million uh, round just recently. Why now? Like what changed? Why was now the time to say like, we're going to press the gas? Yeah, so definitely, I'll tell you the story. So me and Alex, my co-founder, CEO of Bose, we're both best friends. We grew up yeah, like sort of not too far from each other when I moved to Canada. Uh, one of the first people he met, we went to university together. We went to one college together first in Toronto, then we transferred out somewhere really far. We were partners in every project. After engineering, he got into Johnson & Johnson's engineering leadership program, built software there, and then uh, did a startup that didn't succeed and he felt he needed to study accounting. Long story short, ended up at a big four accounting firm. And I, after I finished engineering, followed my girlfriend, now wife, and worked at a number of tech startups and then ended up in San Francisco. And Alex called me around late 2011 and said, hey man, globally over 200 billion is given in R&D incentives to fund businesses, but the application process is manual, it's cumbersome, it takes like, from the first dollar you incur, you gotta wait for the tax season, wait for government processing times. It takes 16 months, let's build a company around this. I had been a part of two uh, startups on the East Coast that didn't really succeed. Uh, I mean, when I say didn't really succeed, meaning nobody made money except the investors. And, uh, and then Alex, ha having been on the accounting space and having his own veil here before, he knew that like venture out is like, can be, can be tricky. And we always said like, hey, when we can turn one into three, we'll do it. But that was not the only idea he had. That's the thing, right? People say, okay, you guys founded in 2012. Why did you take so long to raise money? We had two other, a few other ideas. So one of the other ideas we had to, uh, that we worked on 2013, 14 was called automatically. It was literally intercom, right? So the idea Alex has was customer service agents are inundated. What if we gave them a bot that responded like a real human? No one even knew intercom 2013, uh, 14. So I went out there, we did all this customer development. Uh, we ran a touring test on JetBlue on Twitter and we were able to respond like a real human. We got into the Alchemist Accelerator, which we didn't go through with. But uh, effectively, then I started doing customer development. We started doing customer development, reached out to like all the large enterprises. As we talked to them, we realized it's a real pain, right? And we asked them what customer service software we use because we have a one use case product. We're not gonna build a whole customer service tool. We just wanted to build on top to, to validate. And they all were using like Oracle or some, something heavy. And so then when we went to Salesforce and Oracle, and whatnot, they're like, hey man, you gotta build this on our app exchange and a marketplace. You gotta, you gotta go through this whole heavy process of security review. We're like, this is the death of startups, right? We're never gonna be able to validate this. So ran to San Francisco, where like Zendesk conference, uh, I think at the university there, and cornered their API guy, marketplace guy. And he's like, yeah, you can totally pull that app in our marketplace. We build this stuff, we threw an app in their marketplace called Automatically, and it was easy, like very simple messaging automatically respond to your customers like a real human, right? And right side chat bar, uh, there was a pop-up. And what we found was that after getting thousands of people signing up for automatically, uh, and this is all while doing both in Terralab. Um, you know, we we're like, this is a really sexy problem, right? And, and uh, what, we, what we found is that people were not getting the same results like a JetBlue on Twitter. And then we realized we had a customer development failure. As soon as like Oracle and stuff said, we can, you know, it's gonna take you long to get in the marketplace, we jumped onto Zendesk. But we really didn't do customer development on Zendesk marketplace. The issue was Zendesk customers were all small, like 
30, 20, 30 employee companies with less data. You can't apply AI on no data. You're going to get garbage, right? And so um, we shuttered that. After that, things got really hard because we were bootstrapped. And so I told Alex, hey, you're the brains. And that was 2014, late 2014. Alex, I, uh, and in 2015, we we're like, hey, I, I told Alex, like, you're the brains of the operation from an R&D perspective. We need one income right now. One person needs to like eat and survive. Like we were discussing this. And so at the same time, I had the opportunity to join Byron Dieter's company. So Byron Dieter was founding a company called Speakeasy, but obviously he was not going to run it. He was putting the team together. Uh, he was co-founder of it. He was in, incubated by Bessemer. And I knew Byron again from my networking and events. And so I joined Speakeasy because I could get paid full time and I could get the experience. And I ended up running product there, growth, like pretty much running that uh, company alongside the CEO, right? Like early doing customer development. So I did that for two years while Alex was like doing both. And then Speakeasy failed. We raised six million bucks. We shuttered that company. Um, and, and similar learnings there, right? Where it was like AI for sales. That was AI for customer service. This was AI for sales. And uh, similar learnings there. I took two months off. We came back, uh, and, and I kid you not, we rebranded Boast Capital to Boast in January 2017, and we launched it at Saster in 2017. February, Jason Lemkin gave us a free booth. And from that 2017 to 2020, we got to over eight figures in revenue. So that is the journey of Boast AI as a you know, software to automate this company. Before that, we were doing stuff, but more in a manual way while trying out other companies. So really, yeah, it, it hasn't really been, uh, uh, yes, it's been a long journey of tackling the same space, but, but really Boast, the, Boast, uh, the birth of Boast AI, I would say was like February, 2017 as a rebranded from like a sort of uh, consulting type operation to Boast AI, like software uh, was, was 2017. And like, you know, always eternally thankful to Jason and Saster. Uh, for giving me the opportunity. Lloyd, why do you think you had success with your last adventure with Boast.ai versus not the other two uh, that you had founded earlier? And before you answer that, I, I love I have a quick shout out to give to Indeed.com, our sponsor of today's episode. If you're listening and you're using anything other than Indeed for your hiring, you're making a mistake. We've used them in the past. They're one of the best ways for you to hire top talent, quality candidates, and you can get started right now with a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash scale. That is indeed.com slash scale. This offer is valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Lloyd, back to you. First thing is customer, right? Like having relentless focus on your customer. When we started Boast, what was the mission we wrote was, hey, we've had some failures here. Let's build a company to help innovative founders become successful, right? So having relentless focus on that customer, one type of customer getting one kind of value coming through one channel, right? So that was the first thing. If you have that mission, our mission is to help innovative companies and founders become successful. Then everything, every action you take f follows that mission, right? And, and we were, we wrote that. So that was the one thing, one kind of customer. The other thing is relentless focus on the channel. It's because we were bombarding like ads and doing outbound and doing all kinds of things. One kind of channel. We started with Outbound and we knew uh, even before Outbound that you know, our customers, our mission is to help our customers become successful. Our innovative companies become successful. Innovative companies need non-dilutive capital to fund their business, but they need 10 other things. Like as founders, what else do we need? I need like advice on growth, on hiring, on scaling, all kinds of stuff. So we started doing these pizza nights. 
and we would bring like a speaker and collab community collaboration like in in 2014 like we, we started uh a few, few years ago those pizza nights around the time we started the company those pizza nights evolved into a conference in Banff uh in a ski resort where jeff lawson was there the ceo of uh twilio ceo of uh, red hat vmware Atif from LinkedIn was there. It evolved into like the Traction community it is today. And today Traction has over 90,000 subscribers. And, and what happened at that first conference was um, we had a partner who vamoosed with the money. And then we realized like, hey, we're in a business to make money for this core business, not to run events. And so um, we, we partnered with a nonprofit uh, launch academy and we, we turned it into a nonprofit community. And that community, we, Again, you know, if you go back to how we started the conversation, the giver's mind uh, mindset, I feel the key to networking, like the key to building relationships is give without expecting anything in return. Every conversation I try to go into that is new, I, I try to walk away with what is something that I can help you with? And you may not explicitly ask that and people may not explicitly tell you that, but in the back of my head, I try to understand what pains they're facing and then I try to help them with that pain almost immediately. And when you give first, you, it's, it's, a, it's a start to building a bond. That's how I build a bond with Jason, right? I think what had happened was he had done the conference and uh, he was light on team members and I helped him with speakers for the 2017. He didn't even ask me. He didn't even say, Lloyd, help me with speakers. I knew that was a challenge he was facing and I went and reached out to some speakers and, and got a bunch of confirmations and, uh, um, and, and, and from there, he gave me a free booth, which we could launch at the 2017 disaster in February, right? So it's, it's, it's that. So it's like, focus on the customer. If you have passion for the customer's problem and that's your mission, then you can build, you can do, you know, all, all your actions will, will come from there. Right. And so then the channel, because that was the customer, we know our customer, like truly passionate about our customer success. If we weren't passionate about our customer success, then maybe we would like run ads or try an SDR team and whatnot. We started with community. You gotta be super passionate to build a community because you know what? It doesn't generate business on day one, right? So like that community driven growth is a model we implemented. And it was me doing sales and Alex like doing uh, the operations of it. We hired our first salespeople and, and they, they embodied that community driven. We never had like an inside sales sort of model until like maybe late 2017, 2018, where now it's like, okay, now let's go and explode it. But effectively, if you look at it, traction as a community grew before the rebranding to boast.ai, right? So if you look at it, have passion for the problem your customer is facing and make that your mission. And if, if, if you do that, you will be invested in their growth and they will see you as a relationship, not a transaction, right? They're like, I go to both. Yeah, they give me all this non-dilutive capital, but every week they have two webinars where they bring all these awesome leaders. They connect me to VCs. They do all this stuff because my goal in life, our goal in life is to build relationships. Relationships transcend companies. Passion transcends companies, right? You, you, you know, you see new employees that join, then the third big issue hits and they're on the way out. If you're passionate about a problem and a mission, you'll be there long, you'll stick through it, you'll find solutions or you'll go and do it somewhere else. And also relationships transcend, right? Like I've known Jason through a couple of companies. I've known you guys through a couple of companies, that sort of thing. 
talking about knowing each other, I know last time we connected, you had tested positive for COVID and, and went through a difficult experience. Talk to us a little bit about that experience. So here's what happened. My wife's an ER physician, as you know, and we raised this money. We announced it December 10th. My parents uh, live six months out of the year with us. Otherwise, they're in Toronto and it's cold there. My dad was turning 70. Um, and both my parents have pre-existing conditions. My dad had a bypass surgery last year. My mom's diabetic. We were all excited with this raise because it bootstrapped for a freaking long time. And it felt like forever because, yeah, you can say Boast AI rebranded 2017. We grew so much. But really, we, we started, me and Alex started messing around with things and companies since 2012, right? And so it's just painful. And we're like, okay, finally, we can enjoy now. We can pay ourselves actual market rates as co-founders and, you know, CEO, president. Um, and I was like, we were, my wife was planning a trip. And then December 22nd, 30, 20, 22nd, I think, or 23rd, we weren't feeling well, all of us. So we went and got tested and we were all COVID positive. And my dad's like, what a birthday gift to somebody, <laughs> COVID positive. And then um, we were like, geez, okay, we, we can't go anywhere, can't travel. Within 10 days by Jan 2nd, everyone else was fine. Jan 2nd morning, I woke up unable to breathe. I felt like I was drugged and somebody was repeatedly punching me in the chest. And, and I powered through it. We, we have the pulse ox at home. So my wife was checking my monitoring my oxygen through and through. It was fluctuating, but not so bad. And I think like the next night or something, I just was like fading. Like I, I, I powered through the second night and I powered through the, th the first night, the second night. Uh, and, and then around five or six, she's like, your oxygen is dropping consistently below normal. So around like five or so in the morning, we went to the hospital. The good fortune of her being at Stanford is probably I got the COVID from there. I don't know, because uh, we weren't socializing elsewhere and she had a lot of shifts. But I also got put in the best care. I feel privileged for that, right? So we went there, um, they ran a few x-rays and they said, you have a rare case of COVID pneumonia, like only about like 12, 15% of the people who get COVID get it. We can't see your lungs. Like it's like taken over by the virus, like little pockets of white. Um, and your oxygen levels are dropping. So they put me on oxygen. I was on the mask and, and, um, and I had meds via IV. And um, that went on for a bit and it was painful. And I don't think I've ever experienced, you know, I've been through the Gulf War. I have jaundice. I've had, uh, I've had chicken pox. I, I used to train mixed martial arts in college. I, I dislocated my shoulder pretty bad several times. Nothing compares to this. This was the worst pain. I genuinely felt I was going to die. And uh, I forced myself to stay up. There's only one thing that went through my mind. I've got two little girls, one's two and one's, uh, one turned seven in December. And I, I said to myself, you know, when we started the company, I always said, it's my first baby, right? Obviously, when you bootstrap, I'm not raising money to run an experiment here, right? It's, it's our own love. And and I treated it like the first baby. And when COVID hit, we doubled down, right? We tripled down on work, like doing more events, doing more outbound, doing, doing all kinds of things to drive the brand. And, uh, and I think we grew to eight figures in 2020 uh, without adding much headcount. So that was hard. And then I, I, I said to myself, we raised this money. We're excited to go on this trip. Nothing mattered, man. Like it's not the money in your bank. It's the people around your tombstone that matter. And it's not the journey or the destination. It's the companions you're with that matter. 
and I thought to myself that I didn't spend enough time with family, especially my kids, my wife, like they've, they've been collateral damage to my entrepreneurial dreams. Uh, and that's all I thought about. And I'm like, man, I said, I, I cried so much. I prayed. I said, give me a chance, give me a second chance and, uh, and I'll make it right. Right. And I, and I feel I, I got that second chance for sharing that story, Lloyd. Um, and, and you're right. I think sometimes in being an entrepreneurship, being in sales, like whatever you want to call it, right. When you're so ingrained into your work, it's hard to like, even if you are in the presence of your family in the back of your mind, right. You're consistently thinking about work. At least that's been one of the biggest challenges for me over the last couple of years, right? Like it drives you freaking nuts. So I, I'm curious. And if you don't have the answer yet, right. It like, how are you trying to make, make it right? Like what's maybe one tactical tip if, if I was asking you that you would share with me that you've kind of already started implementing? You know, old habits die hard. In the hospital, I was asking for a second chance. And here one month later, I'm, I'm, I'm still like working through the day. And my wife told me yesterday, hey, you know, you've made some change, but like, you know, uh, you know, you're still like when you're in the zone, you're in the zone kind of thing. But one of the things I've been very deliberate on is scheduling time. And, and you got to figure out all the things that make the people around you happy and schedule time for that. So um, I think last weekend was a long weekend and it was the first weekend um, where I was like sort of proper uh, right after, after the COVID experience. And so I knew it was raining. So I told my daughter earlier in the week, my, my kids that, um, you know, we're going to make a tent in the house. We're going to camp in the house and we're going to, we're going to, you know, go in the bathtub and do a bubble bath and then I'll cook you guys dinner and we'll, we'll watch whatever movie and we'll stay up through the night. So we did that last Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And we, we, we put together a tent in the house and whatnot. And the same thing like this weekend, my, they were so happy that like, can we do this again? Can we do this again? And we put together a tent. So I think like scheduling more and more time. One of, one of my key learnings is, um, you know, my older daughter, I felt like for the past several years wasn't close to me. He was so busy with, with business, right? And I hadn't scheduled that time. Uh, my second daughter was born premature five months. Uh, she came for four or five months early, was due end of October, came early July, like, you know. And I said to myself after that lesson that, you know, my older daughter is not close to me. I'm not going to make the same mistake with her. And I was really good until COVID hit. And I could see the shift from when, when my second daughter, when daddy, 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 to something changed in the summer. And within a few weeks, she was mommy, she was daddy's girl. Everything was daddy, wanted me to put her to bed, uh, sing to her, everything. And within a matter of few weeks, kids are malleable, right? At this age, it shifted. And I feel like I needed this, this lesson because I, I made a promise that I didn't quite keep after, after this whole thing. And, and, and we all need, need such lessons, maybe not so harsh. Right. Because you think otherwise, there's just there's this quote which applies to probably everything. Um, And I think it's the former CEO of Intel. Right. Is uh, success leads to complacency and complacency leads to failure and only the paranoid survive. And what he's not saying is to become like this sort of sociopath, paranoid person. What he's saying is like stay on top of things. Right. Try to project and, and proactively see what might happen like 10 steps ahead. And we're very good at trying to do that in business, but not at home. Right. And, and you got to be deliberate and I'm trying right now. And, and I thought I was, I was trying, but my wife told, reminded me yesterday, you need to try harder. Right. So I think, I think that's a good lesson.
Appreciate you talking us through that experience, Lloyd. One question we love to ask everybody before we say our goodbyes, if you could go back to your younger self, what's one piece of advice you would tell yourself? I would, uh, I, I would tell my younger self two things. On the business side, I would be like, customers want an outcome, not technology. In the early days, your job as a founder is to de-risk one or two things, right? And, and when you have no money, it's to, can I get customers and can I keep customers? So if, not that I'm sad that automatically didn't succeed, but if I went back, if I knowing what I know today, like uh, at most, if I went back to the automatically days, would I just built a decision tree and ask customers, what are your 10 most common questions and load that for them? And they would pay. And then eventually it build enough tech to like, to like get there. But see, intercom is super successful. I'm, I don't regret that lesson one bit because we're gonna build a billion dollar company at most. On the personal side, I would say if I could go back is just be present at home, schedule things, schedule things and be deliberate. Um, I don't know a lot of us, me, especially I'm a very extreme kind of person, right? Like I could lose 30 pounds in one month. I could, uh, I could you know, just very extreme. Um, and maybe that's required in entrepreneurship, but I think don't let your family be the collateral damage for your entrepreneurial ven uh, uh, endeavors, right? Like be present at home. Um, and I'm trying, man. I, I haven't mastered it. I'm not, not even nowhere near like, midway. I think this COVID experience is just helping me get started on that journey. Hey, at least you know what you have to work on. Uh, well, Lloyd, this has been an amazing episode. Thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate you for being vulnerable, paying it forward for anybody listening. Thank you so much. If you want to connect with Lloyd, we'll put his contact info in the show notes. Lloyd, as always, thank you so much and catch you next time. This was fantastic, man. Thanks, guys.